Welcome to Bleed TV, the podcast for the best shows on TV, and I'm Jake. And tonight we're going to be covering Into the Badlands, episode 101, and the title was The Fort, directed by David Dobkin, and the writers are the creators of Gog and Millar. So, heavy-packed episode, a lot to take in, a lot to learn, a lot to try to keep track of, um, but my first thoughts on the episode as a whole, I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, like I said, I think this is going to be a very niche show for a very niche market. And if you're into this type of thing, I think it pushed most of those buttons that get you, you know, really amped up for this type of violence and this type of setting. And, you know, it's such a mix of all these genres of steampunk and kung fu and uh, just Chinese detective and, you know, it's water world. It's mad max it's you know it's such a mix of all these things you know it's it's nothing that's like brand new like these storylines aren't just completely new but they have their own little twist on them which has got me pretty riled up for it and i like it a lot so overall main thoughts was i really liked it now that doesn't mean i'm not going to be objective about this show there were some things that i thought were a bit you know off and could have had some better decisions made on but We'll get to all that stuff. But overall opinion so far on the first episode, really enjoyed it. Really looking forward to the next episode. But let's let's talk about how we start this off. Now, I know a lot of the trailers and stuff like that that came out beforehand, and they kind of gave you a lot of these, you know, snippets. And I mean, there's tons. I mean, if you watch The Walking Dead, you know that they've just been beating you over the head with TV spot after TV spot after trailer after trailer after TV spot. So you got to see certain things, and they just so happened to release this on uh, on YouTube. The the opening fight sequence, uh, you know, a week in advance. So we, I actually actually saw this scene ahead of time, but I gotta say, it still had the same impact the second time watching it. You forget all the arm twists and bones cracking, and you know, folding people over, and the slow mo, and the well placed choreography and and wire work, and just the nasty deaths that he he instills on these group of nomads. So, huge impact. Huge, huge impact. I really, really enjoyed this. This is the type of show I wanted to see. So, but what did we learn here? We learned that there's nomads, right? On the Badlands, there's nomads. There's seven barons. Okay, so originally I thought there was maybe two that were going to be in the story. It looks like there's going to be a total of seven. So, it also appears that every one of them control a certain aspect of the doings and the businesses and the opium trade on the badlands so they have rules and you know you have to, you can't break them you can't attack one baron and you know no baron can attack another baron so that's going to be cool to unpack and learn some of those some of those details about you know that that'll be kind of like that mob feel it's kind of if you think like uh goodfellas like you can't kill a made man it's kind of like you can't kill a baron because if you do all the other barons could come down on you you know, it's like you just those simple rules that, you know, add to a lot of the drama and a lot of the backstabbiness. I think we have to look forward to this show. So we end on the first opening fight scene. Awesome kill. I think he kills like nine dudes in one setting and opens up a chest that has a, a young man in named MK. Okay. Boom. Credit sequence. Now, if you've listened to some of my podcasts before, you know that I'm a big fan of the credit sequences. So, what did I think about this one? Really liked the, you know, the 
design of it, the graphics that they're moving around on. It has a real old school look, real uh, anime kind of kung fu-y look to it. One thing I didn't like was the music. was not a huge fan. I didn't feel like it matched the tone of this show and that credit sequence. So that was a slightly disappointing, but I got to be honest, uh, the the graphics were cool enough to keep me interested and everything like that. And so, and I and I appreciate that. Okay, commercials are over. We're running to the next stuff. Now I'm gonna do this podcast. This won't be as long as our normal ones. I'm gonna run down the major plot points that we hit on this one. Now we already went over the fact that there's seven barons. We know Quinn and the widow play major roles. Quinn who runs the fort, which is episode's title after. Now, he controls basically the opium fields, it looks like. But depends on the widow because she runs the oil. And I'm guessing the fuel, you know, that runs the machines that can harvest the crops and things like that. You know, they have slaves and everything like that called cogs that run the day-to-day business inside the fort and I guess for all the barons. But... I'm assuming they, like I said, they still need that fuel to run the machines to process the, the heroin and the poppy seeds. Okay, so we also learned that Sonny, uh, the main character, would appear on the show, is his number one clipper. And MK is a kid that is in search of his mom, but he was obviously a, he was a cog, and it looked like he was kind of on a chain gang when Sonny runs up on these you know, this group of the rest of the chain that had been murdered. Horrible scene when you see a little child was one of the ones murdered. So he has this medallion around his neck. That seems like it's going to play a major role because it kind of looks like it brings back a memory for Sonny. And we learn later on that Sonny also has a medallion similar to it in a compass that of his that he kind of uh, keeps close to the vest on where he got it from. So... Sonny and MK, we obviously can tell they're going to be major plot characters. So, Sonny brings MK to the fort. And this is the first time you get to see this massive structure. Now, I'll admit, the first time I saw the fort and when I saw the big gates, you know, the big Jurassic Park looking gate, you know, the big huge walls, I thought CG on the gate. But later on in the episode, it looks like they may have built that wall and that door. Which is awesome, because you once you get on the opposite side, you realize it's just shipping containers that are stacked up to create that wall and create that gate space, which is fantastic. And honestly, the way they move those shipping containers around and how easily they can make height and things out of it, that's a fantastic idea. So I really like that. I really like, and I hope that that's the case, that they really did build that set. Because that's one of the main things I really liked about this show so far was the sets. Set pieces were done really well. A lot of attention to detail. So we get to meet Quinn. And Quinn is obviously super powerful. He has a boatload of, I think they called them cults. Now cults are the young boys that are chosen to, to become future clippers and to fight in his name or to fight to protect his interest. So... Sonny brings MK in, sits him down. You get to hear a good little speech from the Baron, who I, I really like so far. I think he can uh, obviously carry his weight on the acting side. And MK doesn't appear to be one to be a fighter. He doesn't want anything to do with this. You know, he's reluctant to even be there. He'd rather be out on his own, still in search of his mom. But Sonny's aware that he'd die on his own out there. 
and this is his best chance for survival is to be here, train, you know, learn to protect himself and fight under the Baron. So all along the same lines of Quinn, we find out that he's suffering from some headaches that one of those major headaches is his ex-wife who's still in the picture seems to be extremely loyal to him and his only living son Ryder. So Lydia ex-wife Ryder only son they seem to be a pretty solid pair that really want Ryder to take his over his father's footsteps when the time has come but Quinn seems very reluctant because I mean honestly I could tell this honestly that Ryder he looks like a douche and he doesn't seem prepared he wants things handed to him not earned you know what I mean so he seems uh super ambitious but wanting it the 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 easy way not the not the hard way not the the blood and the sweat and tears way so I see that's obviously going to be an issue and a matter of fact of the headaches and this is my first prediction for a possibility is is I think that I think Quinn might be getting slowly poisoned by one of his inner circle, you know, either by Lydia or Ryder, or you find out his future wife, Jade, who's also banging Ryder and playing double sides there. Who else? Obviously, it seems pretty super ambitious because she's playing both sides of the coin. Whoever wins, she still wins and that sort of thing, as long as they can keep it a secret. So moving on from his inner circle family issues, we find out that uh, Sonny has 404 kills, all tattooed in slashes on his back. Now, this part seemed a little bit meh to me. You know, it wasn't my favorite, you know, design to use for the tattoo. I think they could have done something a little, even a little simpler would have been cool. I mean, these massive slashes to little tiny, tiny slashes and stuff, I was like... Eh, a little over the top, a little bit cheesy, I think, right there. But, you know, I can live with that. It's mainly going to be covered, it would appear, under his bright red costume. All right. What else do we learn? We learn that there's another character named Vale. Now, Vale does prosthetics and is a doctor and looks like Cogtown. That's what I'm going to call it until I, until I hear a name for the little inner city that looks like all the poor cog workers live in okay so it's like a um i don't know what to call it it's like you got the castle and then you have the little little town that's inside the gates you know what i mean but we find out that they're an item sunny and Vale are an item together okay so we learned that Vale is pregnant now at first i thought maybe this was because sunny seemed so distraught by it that i i wasn't totally sure that it was like illegal like that was breaking a code that clippers can't have families i thought it was something else like cogs weren't allowed to have children and if they were you know they'd be killed or something like that but it actually ends up it's the clipper side and the clippers aren't allowed to have family which makes sense if you think about it. if you're trying to breed killers you don't want any kind of distractions like families or anything like that you just want them set on one thing and that's protecting the baron's interest so that's obviously going to be an issue now, we get to a really cool scene because we get the rain fight. Now, we don't realize it at, at, at first, but this is the first encounter we're going to get with the widow. And she's sitting in an old school kind of lead sled, sitting on this old rainy town. 
um, you know, muddy street. It's just real dingy out. And you get a look at some of her, you know, clippers that she has working for. And I thought this was kind of nice because you, you end up seeing that Sonny's not just super overpowered. You know what I mean? He he takes care of the four, like, minor ones, it would appear, in an in awesome fashion. You know, super choreography. The You know, the, the slow-mo is so very clear, and everything is, is shot so well. The cinematography is fantastic. So you end up with a really nice fight scene, and then you get the extra guy at the end there with the double swords, and he seems to be a real match for Sonny. Now I'm aware Sonny gets the best of him in the end, and gruesome wonderful fashion but i really enjoy the fact that they're not just making him a terminator you know i mean just where he just can't be stopped and he's constantly killed now i'm aware he's the main character and he's really not under any threat of death anytime soon but i like to think that they can make these fights seem plausible and exciting due to the fact that the other fighter in the in the battle is you know pretty pretty dominant himself or herself so I really look forward to the more of these fights. That's really where this show excelled. But then you learn it, it's the widow. All right. And the widow steps out of the car. Sonny wants to kill her, but this is where you learn that you cannot kill other barons. It would just start a war and that's not what they need. They know that's not a good decision. But you also learn that the widow is the one that hired the nomads to get MK. She's looking for MK still and wants Sonny to get him for her. Um, shows him the picture of the medallion again. So that comes up for a third time. So the medallion, what does it represent? MK says it represents Azra. Now this is the, you know, water world terms. This is dry land. If this is Mad Max, this is the green land. You know, this is, this is that place beyond the borders that most people don't think is legend, but you know, one person there's always that one person that has a map or has something that can lead them to that area and everybody wants that so this is it like i said this is not a brand new plot device but this is a a cool twist on it so it it appears that sunny may have some connection to this azra place as well because he doesn't have family that he can remember it would seem or that he doesn't care to remember or that or, it, I mean, he had somebody originally, obviously, because he was born, but, you know, he doesn't he doesn't talk about it. And the Baron constantly kind of picks at him, you know, like, it's a good thing you didn't have a family, because they're just a pain in the ass, basically. So this is kind of cool that we're going to get possible connection between him and MK. And speaking of MK, when he comes in and he doesn't want to fight... You get to see the pit. You get to see all the other kids that are wanting to train and wanting to be future clippers and things, and they're picking at him, and he's reluctant to fight and things. He looks like he can hold his own slightly, you know, just, you know, for schoolyard brawls. But late in the episode, we figure out and we learn this new thing about him where he basically has a schizophrenic or double personality that comes out when he bleeds, if he gets cut in any form or fashion, bleeds and looks like if he sees the blood. And then his eyes go all black and he looks like the, you know, the, the hybrid werewolf on Underworld, you know, and just goes bananas. And he kicks this, you know, little bully kid through a mirror and, and he looks pretty wicked. Um, 
but then you had this strange thing where the glass breaks and it flies and he catches it and he throws it back into the kid's eye and stuff. It's like, man, I really loved the kick. And I loved him smashing into the mirror, but man, did they miss on this whole grabbing the chunk of the mirror and throwing it back. You know, that just seemed like a really just silly add-on to it. I, I would have rather seen, you know, something a little more, you know, just a little simpler that wouldn't be so hokey to me. You know, because the CG didn't look real good. You know, it just made it, it kind of it kind of messed up that scene for me. And as happy as I was to see that MK has this secret power, that God, that little little speck of of poor CG and poor, you know, idea kind of messed up that scene a little bit for me. But anyway, he finishes the fight. Sonny sees him happen and he passes out. So I guess this is what happens. So, you know, if he if he as soon as he turns, he faints. He like blacks out and he can't. I don't know if he can't remember what happens. He says he can't remember what happens and he always wakes up and people are either hurt or worse, you know, dead, whatever the case may be. So now you see why he's so reluctant to fight. You see why he doesn't want to show people what he's capable of because this is obviously the reason why the widow and and probably other people out in the Badlands are looking for him and want him because, I mean, this is a super powerful ally. Because it just makes me wonder, like, if he wants to go all just horrific monster, can he just carry a knife with him and cut himself every once in a while? If he needs to turn for a fight, you know? I mean, it just makes total sense that he would just have a constant long fingernail or something that he could just drag across his wrist or his, his arm or something to cut himself. I mean, if, it, if it's that simple, if it's just cut his skin and he bleeds, this dude is a super weapon. I mean, it's a, you know, it's an insane, it's a... a a firearm in a, in a land without weapons, you know I mean? It's, it's really cool, really cool twist on another idea that I've not seen before, you know, but I hope they, next time it, it happens that they pick a little better device than the flying glass and throwing it back like a throwing star thing that I, I'll prefer it when I see something a little better. So Sonny decides that MK is just not safe here. And, he'd be better off trying to go find his mom, get back home, whatever the case may be, and decides to help him leave. Now, Lydia spots this and sees him putting putting him through like a sewer drain, it looks like, and stuff like that. But she doesn't rush to tell anybody. She keeps this kind of secret. So she's obviously going to hold this against Sonny for something, it would appear to me. Now... Whether or not that leads to anything, you know, drastic, I can see it as being a huge betrayal to the Baron. And they kind of play you on that, thinking that the Baron, that's why he called him to the office later on in the episode. Because you think Lydia said something to him, but they did a good job of, of messing with you. And and it really, he was just calling him in because he saw him staring out, out, out of the Badlands and stuff like that. You know, kind of hoping for something else beyond the borders, it would appear. Who the Baron says he's done the same thing in the past. So the other major deal that's going on, and I kind of hit on it a little bit, is Jade. Now Jade, future wife of the Baron, is going to be a huge wrench in the clockwork of this, you know, business because she's banging Sun Rider and new future husband, the Baron Quinn. And looks like 
it's not necessarily a huge secret to even Lydia, you know, and Ryder doesn't, I I don't think he's smart enough to to play it cool and make this more, you know, hidden. Because, I mean, she just walks blatantly into his room and and strips down and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, there's got to be eyes everywhere. So this can't be a smart play at all on either one of their parts. So if they're working together to try to displace the Baron, they're really starting off on a real shitty foot because this is that was kind of silly to me. But I think mainly that is the major plot points that we got to see. You know, it's there's other stuff in there, but I think that was more filler. It's kind of more introduction to where we are, what setting we're in. It doesn't say where we are. It doesn't say like we're in America. But everybody speaks English, it would appear. But we have all these different-looking races. You know, people, I mean, Sonny, he's obviously Asian. And then the nomads looked like they could be from uh, 10 different ethnicities. So, But everybody does speak English. Sonny's learning to speak English, even though he seems to speak it perfectly. He's learning to read it. Um, So we don't know about that. We just know it's the Badlands. And that's about it. So... Whether or not we need to know what country they're in, I don't think it really matters. It's really pretty. It's really gorgeously shot, you know, wherever it is. Really cool settings. So, all right. Let's move on to what, basically what I liked about the episode and what I'm liking so far. I like the fights. They crushed it. Opening sequence, crushed. Rain fight, crushed. Um, You know, the fight where MK turns started out great. Get a little meh. Towards the end there. No big deal. The violence is wonderful. The bone snapping and the wrist turning and the flipping the guy over where his feet touch the side of the ground. Even the subtle one where he just kind of throws a guy down who lands on his face and kind of folds up a little bit, you know, and, and then he finishes him off on a little bit later. Um, just a nasty rain fight with the swords, even where they go into the building and you don't see him for a second. And they come through the glass. That's a really cool, you know, continuous shot. I like the, I, you know, I like the cinematography. I love the uh, how fantastic the cameras are that are they're using for this because the slow mo is just crystal, crystal clear. You know, the the blood looks good. The, you know, the, the stabbings look real. Um, the power looks real, even though this stuff is wired and it's over the top. It's like you feel the impacts. So they're really crushing the fight sequences and the cinematography. And add to that the sets as well. The fort looks awesome. The poppy seeds look cool. That, that, that Those red flowers, you know, that really give you that contrast. They're using these bright colors up against drab backgrounds and things like that. And I really like it. Really, really like it. It kind of it brings me back to like a... Not as vibrant necessarily, but as a Sin City or a 300 style, a Robert Rodriguez style. So let's move on to the stuff I didn't like so much. Dislike. The one-liners. This show started off pretty brutally with the one-liners from MK and Sonny. Okay, they they just, I mean, the dialogue mostly on this show so far has been pretty wooden. Everything's very deliberate. It's very short. And now let me just put it this way. It's not something I necessarily dislike, but this feels like I'm watching a comic book. Like everything almost feels like laid out in panels 
for the action. And then the dialogue looks like it's something that would fit in a thought bubble, you know, in a dialogue bubble. Everything's real short. Everything's compact. You know, the actors aren't just A-level, so they, they're not delivering it just perfectly. Uh, uh, you know, except for the Baron. I think the Baron can carry his weight. Quinn, I think he can carry his weight pretty well with the acting and with the dialogue. But the other people, they seem to have written them. Like, I'd say the worst so far is MK to me. And I'm not sure if it's his fault as an actor or the writing or whatever. But like I said, they just feel really wooden. Like they're just the, the dialogue seems simple and not not too deep. Now maybe that's not what they need for this type of show. This show's going to be about the, the action and the violence and the fighting. And maybe the dialogue doesn't need to be too deep. But some of the stuff they've set up is going to require some decent writing and some decent dialogue. So I hope they get that you know, lifted up a little bit. Let's move on to the outfits and the makeup. Sonny's red jacket and shades. I can almost live with the red jacket, but I almost cannot live with those shades. And it's like, okay, you wanted to go, if you look at the bike, you look at some of the stuff, it's kind of some steampunk elements. I'd have loved to have seen him in some kind of steampunk goggles instead if he's on the bike. It makes more sense to me than the shades. You know, just... They just made this a little more rugged. The glasses are just too clean. You look at the nomads, they're filthy, you know, they look kind of, you know, dirty and they look rugged. They look like something surviving in a place called the Badlands. But Sonny's a little too clean cut for me. I don't like how clean he is. Like I said, the tattoos are a little too clean. You know, his his hair's a little too great. His His shades and his jacket are just a little too nice. But the shades are the worst part. That's the worst part of it so far. I feel like it's going to be some Horatio from CSI Miami scene coming up, and I'm going to just want to throw up. So let's hope that doesn't happen. But the makeup, the nomads, for instance, why do they have so much eye makeup? Why do they all look like Adam Levine for some reason? I just don't understand that yet. I mean, I I like the fact that they're trying to go a little different route, make this, like I said, a little more comic booky, a little charactery, you know, which is cool, but... Don't let that get too far. Don't let that slip into a a hokey, cheesy level, because that'll make me a little sick. And then my number one gripe with this uh, with this episode, and with really with the whole series overall, is the trailers. The trailers are giving away way too much, just way too much so far. They've got to dial that back. Now I know they had to promote the hell out of the show. They did a really cool thing with making Walking Dead's preview for the next episode after the first commercial break. That's a good way to get people into that opening fight sequence, which was bad to the bone. But my God, the trailers and the TV spots for the show are just showing way too much. This might be one of those ones where I'm going to hope to not watch the preview for next week because they're just giving away too much. The trailers are unbelievable. I, I know too much going into the next, whether it's even on the next episode or episodes down the line. I know some of the things that I don't want to know yet. So please, please, AMC, dial back the damn trailers. They're just obnoxiously giving away too much. So, ugh. All right. That's it, guys. That's my my likes, my dislikes, my overall impressions. I'm really looking forward to this. I hope this was a little more upbeat and a little better podcast than my preview. I'm still getting used to doing this by myself without any back and forth. So I'm really going to need some feedback from you guys. I wanted to do a segment that, you know, I can do on this episode. I was going to call it Top Kill, my favorite kill of the night. 
And my favorite kill of the night was the spear kill in the opening fight sequence. If you don't remember it, it's the single black guy in the nomad group. He gets speared through the stomach or through the chest area. And then Sonny wraps around him, grabs the blade end, and pulls the handle all the way through his body to dispatch the next man. I just absolutely loved it. Good CG on the blood. Excellent, you know, choreography. It was wonderful. And the more of that stuff they do, the happier I'll be. But, you know, I want I want your feedback. I want to know you guys. And you guys and gals, just what's the best kill of the night for you guys? What's what's some of the stuff you like and didn't like? You know, so please hit me up. You can always hit us at, at Bleed TV Podcast on Twitter. We got Bleed TV Podcast at gmail dot com and then find us on our Facebook page at Bleed TV Podcast. So please, please, please give me as fe- much feedback as you possibly can. I want to know how you feel about the podcast and about the episode because I'll take every little bit of advice I can get. And I want, I want the back and forth. It's a little different when I'm doing the shows with my brother, like Walking Dead, because we can have a good banter. But I'm really looking forward to listening to the audience, listening to you guys that you know that follow us on a regular basis. Give me some feedback. I'd really appreciate it. But until next episode, guys, I'll talk to you later. Yeah.